We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Kilkenny Today on Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Good evening and welcome again to Kilkenny Today with myself and Nolan and I'm here with you for the next hour so I hope you can stay with me and if you want to get in contact with the show uh, please do so on the phones on 056 and the text line 086-353-7782 and remember we are streaming live around the world on www.communityradio.kilkenny.com city.ie in a few moments I will be playing an interview from our colleagues at Near FM and uh, Michael Sullivan from Near FM he spoke to Sean Moynihan uh, from Alone and in the hope that the government is to increase the state pension in 2021 and that will be coming up in a few moments and then later on in the show I will be speaking to Dr. Sinead McNally and she's an assistant professor in the psychology of early childhood education at DCU and that is coming up a little bit later on in the show um, but I'm going to go to that interview now from Michael Sullivan from Near FM and he is speaking to Sean Moynihan and he's the CEO of Avalon. My name's Michael Sullivan and on the line I have Sean Moynihan and he's the CEO of uh, Alone. Sean, uh, I know this this uh, is something that everyone, I, I suppose, the start of every interview. Maybe you just explain to the listeners who Alone are and what you do. Yeah, what we do is, is in Alone is we support older people to age at home. And we do that by coordinating sports of volunteers who visit and, and provide friendship, practical support, social activity, health and well-being. We also provide housing to homeless or older people and also resource and train a lot of other community groups around the country. Now, you are calling at the moment for uh, an increase in the state pension for uh, 2021. Maybe you tell us about that. Yeah, I suppose at the moment people may not know, but at this time of the year, the Department of Social Protection and the government does a lot of its pre-budget submissions from agencies like ourselves and industry groups. And so in our pre-budget submission, we're, we're obviously advocating for the, for older people and that ultimately the government has set a target that older people with 40-year stamps, 40 years work, would actually get 35% of the average wage which would mean at the moment that over the lifetime of this co- government, the pension would need to go up by around 28 euros. And so ultimately to keep older people from falling into poverty traps. And so we're advocating this year to get that underway. Lifetime of most governments is around four years is, se- is seven euros, especially with the extra costs this year of people. With the pandemic, there's an awful lot of older people with extra costs and being at home and a lot going on and also insulating them against falling behind. Well, I have to say, I totally agree with you, but what I would turn around and say is that the government are costing themselves money 
by the way mm. they uh, organise pensions and so forth. Sure. It would be a far simpler system if you had a, a universal income. Oh, look, I mean, to be honest, we, we'd love to see that. And we see over the last few years that uh, there's been a lot more push for universal income and for your listeners, that's where everybody would have an entitlement to you know, around 230 euros. There'd be no administration on it. Uh, and ultimately, it was no matter throughout your life, you'd have that to fall, fall back on. Uh, I think it would make life much simpler. I think <clears throat> what we have now is a very complicated situation. And a lot of times, people who don't have enough stamps have amounts discounted from them. And it also means a lot of older people don't get the choice you know, or some are forced to work on when they don't want to work on, and other others, maybe their health fails early, and you could be in real difficulty in your early 60s if you if you have to retire because of ill health or anything else happens to you. So I'd be a big fan of that. At the moment, working with what we've got, what we're trying to do is make sure that more older people don't end up falling below the poverty line. The reality is, that older people have contributors and still remain and contribute so much to our society that ultimately is we have to make sure that they are supported. And really, all pensions tend to be, state pensions, which most people live on, tend to be spent locally. So it's also good for the economy because they tend to be money that's spent locally and supports the local community. Yeah, that's that's something that... Um the, the, the naysayers, I'll call them the naysayers uh, about uh, pensions um, yeah. give out about they, they say oh you know the 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 the, the grey the, the grey uh, uh, economy there, Should they, don't they have yeah. loads of money anyway and so but what they forget is that the grey economy normally is spent locally Absolutely I think in some ways we've got to remember right, I suppose as you say there's naysayers oh we can't afford pensions, whatever well, I wonder when we all get to that age and maybe we've done 40 or 50 years of work with, and, and paid all our taxes and all the things that you have to do and all the contributions all the people make and people making the home and everything that people have done is, is that will we be sort of thinking, oh, the state can't afford a pension for me. Do you know what I mean? I think it's, 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 a, it's an investment in the, in, in the understanding of, uh, of supporting older people. And I think... Um, that all older people still contribute even on the pension but uh, older people in a lot of cases are the backbone of many voluntary organisations after they retire and they do lots of unpaid work in that area and also supporting and childcare and all of those things Indeed and the, the, the thing to remember as well that the uh, majority of older people um, who might have uh, um, a, a, a work pension as well yeah. well they're paying tax on that as well Absolutely, you pay tax on that and, and in a lot of cases that can be quite modest and we can't be penalising people because they're trying to say it and I think people forget history, you know very quickly in, in the 80s, you know, I think at one stage the, the PAYE the tax was around 70 or 80% so we built the back on people who may not who contributed so much to society may not have had enough money then left over to save for a private pension as well and I think there's a lot of talk saying, oh, we can't afford it as we get more pensioners. We'll have to keep moving the age up. The actual stats don't support that. We can actually, you know, over the next 40 or 50 years, even with the increase in pensions, the reality is the projections are that 
the amounts spent on pensions will go up by around uh, will, will go up around by around three percent of GDP. It's something we can plan for and deal for and make sure that everybody in their old age has a reasonable standard of living. Because even the pension, as it is, it's really just it gets you the basics. If something goes wrong, it can be very tight and very difficult. And the other thing to remember, of course, is if you don't have a pension system. Uh, you're going to have a certain amount of people are going to fall into uh, a need where the state is going to have to look after them anyway. And if, you, if the state has to put in services to look after people, it's going to cost five, six, seven times more than you're actually paying out in the pension. Look, so, so much in Ireland, we're, we're, we're very good at reacting things. And we've got to say, compliment, like, you know, if you take our social protection system, you know, whether it's pensions or whether it's unemployment benefits and all these things. Like, you know, we, we try and look after people the best we can, but we're not great at getting into those preventative areas. If we keep older people active, well, healthy, and if we all look after ourselves going forward, and if we, we, we give a reasonable standard of housing and living to everybody, well, ultimately, it's preventative. And the state saves money in all the different areas, whether that's health and housing, and that's also true in yeah, I've been saying that for a long time that, uh, and everybody I talk to seems to agree but nobody seems to be willing to put money in whether it's health, education young people, you name it when you spend a bit of money put the money in early you save Absolutely. huge amounts of money on when things go wrong well, we provide housing to all the people who are homeless, right? So we, we've a, a couple of hundred houses in Dublin. Um, for the, the, you know, and unfortunately, we're rising rents and with the falling house ownerships, homelessness and housing issues among older people are very much on the rise and sometimes a bit invisible. Um, but, the, but the reality of it is, is that half the time, the, well, we don't operate this way, but sometimes the state doesn't step in until somebody becomes homeless. Where it's obvious, quite obvious they're going to become homeless or, 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 you know, so we don't put enough into the preventative areas but, and ultimately we wait till things go wrong. Well, there's one I always uh, mention, I was about uh, I think it was last year or may- maybe the year before uh, uh, an elderly lady down in Tipperary, she had a fall in her home and she broke her hip. Uh, so she went in, she was brought into hospital and they, they did the work on the hip and then she wanted to go home. But they wouldn't allow her home because uh, to get her home they needed to put in a stairlift and the cost of putting in the stairlift was £1,200. And the whoever they were dealing with, whoever the social worker went to her boss and uh, they said no uh, we can't afford that to put that in uh, she'll have to go into a nursing home and I think and that, that, that these are the types of things these happen every day when we're advocating for all the people around home care around you know home help home care around housing grants as you just described you know what these things are is, is they're budgeted amounts so once it's gone it's gone so even if somebody you know qualifies needs it supports they're either left to wait or we actually, in some cases, we seem to be addicted to the more expensive options, whether that happens to be nursing homes, whether that has to be people stuck in acute hospitals. You know, we always talk about, you know, trolley counts. 
usually, you know, when we've 700 people on a tro- trolleys, we've usually got 700 delayed discharges, the far end of the hospital, and the vast majority of them are older people waiting for either alterations to houses because something has changed, or waiting on home help, or waiting on other things that attain you know, that are actually less expensive and would allow them to go home and, and, and be cared for. Yeah, I'm going to be a little controversial here in, in that those sorts of things, that lady, £1,200 spent would have got her home. Mm. Put her into a nursing home, it's costing more than 1200 a week. Oh, absolutely. And and, and, and the point is, is uh, they, that's where, like, I think the, the government actually yesterday announced the grants amount for this year, right, uh, for home adaptation, and it was 73 million, and a bit of 73 point something million, I can't remember the point, uh, right, million yesterday. Ten years ago, it was 80 million, right? We now have 200,000 extra pensioners. Now, thank God, so many older people are just that, they're running businesses, active, you know, on golf courses, you know, doing five Ks to shame us all, right? Um, but the point is, but for those who need it, because something has changed, frailty, putting in a bathroom, a stair lift, that's it. But reality was, our economy, unfortunately, before the pan- well, thankfully, before the pandemic had recovered, but our spend on social and infrastructure care hadn't fully recovered. So ultimately, is we're still below what we were a decade ago. In that, in the spending in the area, that, as you described. Yeah, and then the. As uh, while, while I was working, I'm retired now, but um, while I was working, the, the, the mantra was work smarter, not harder. And if we yeah. actually thought that, if, as, as a society, if we thought that about our money, uh, it's not about spending more money, it's spending our money smarter. And it's far smarter to spell £1,200 to sort our euro to sort uh, an issue out rather than sp- spend €1,200 Euro a week waiting Absolutely. to spend €1,200. Hey, Euros. We support people to age at home and that has been government policy for 15, 20 years probably, probably longer. You know, we're going back to there's a famous document called The Way Ahead, I think written around 30 years ago, government strategy, and cross-party support. And that means having more services in the community, more supports, more care, moving away from the acute, having the home helps, the home care, right to proteins. Sludge care has a lot of this built into it, but it has taken a long number of years to turn the battleships towards that way. But now with COVID-19 and the impact of that, what we need is that is that escalated, that to move quicker. Because older people need and services need to be tilted towards the hospital, not only into the community, not only because it's what older people want, not only because it's cheaper, but also it manages an awful lot of risks for older people as we go forward. And, and this is a strange question to you: Are we wasting a good crisis um, and not changing things well, quick enough? Well, I think I think what I would say, and this would be an optimist to me, is, is that an awful lot of services have turned around, and because uh, you know older people, especially through cocooning, couldn't reach out, they went and reached in, and there was a lot of learning done through that. There's an awful lot of jumping the knowledge using technology, right, for, so so older people can be supported by technology in the home. There's a lot of things changing, so we have to maintain that momentum because it's something we always wanted to achieve. It's something all older people always wanted. It's something that families always wanted. So hopefully 
if there is any upside from all of this, we'll have developed the skills, the abilities and the services to support all the people in the community or those who need it, you know. So I'd be hopeful that we'll have some good news out of all of this. Now, I'm going to, uh, I'm, I know I'm taking up a huge amount of your time and I'm not going to, to keep you much longer, but two things I wanted to ask you. One, should the uh, pension at the pension age be brought back down to 65 and two then how can people support a loan uh, not just with the uh, call on the government to increase the pension but uh, and it's 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 a costly work in that you're doing how can they help you out yeah well what i'd say to you is one i think the pension age should say it's 65 because not everybody's going to make as they move it to 67 and 68 and all that i was going to make it to that age healthy I think in a world where we've got so much innovation and people are talking about, you know what I mean, we need less people working anyway, it seems an oxymoron just to push out the pension age. I think the pension age then should stay at 65, and then it's about choice. Some people will choose to work on, and they should absolutely be encouraged, supported, and allowed to do that. And for other people, they could have physical jobs, they could have health issues, they could have carers, responsibilities to other people. We shouldn't actually impoverish them because they haven't got the ability to work on. And the other thing is, is we're delighted with um, for those those who've come forward and volunteer for us, and we're grateful for all of the people who work for us and for the public. Well, we, you know, as an NGO, we're always looking for support and sponsorship. If people have the ability to give us that help, we really appreciate it. And finally, if there's any older person out there who's struggling or needs support, please ring us at any stage. Sean, many thanks for chatting to me today. Thanks very much. Take care. All the best. Sloan that. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Des Murphy here to remind you of my Good Morning Kilkenny programme. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10am for two hours here on Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. So join me for seven decades of music, Ashley's favourite three, and on this day in music history, that's Tuesdays and Thursdays, Good Morning Kilkenny from 10am to 12 noon, with me, Des Murphy. Kilkenny's only community radio station. We're local like you. Yes, and you are tuned to Kilkenny today with myself and Nolan here on Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM. And if you want to get in contact with the show, please do so on the phones on 056 77 or the text line 086 353 And remember, we are streaming live around the world on www.communityradiocalkennycity.ie. Before the break there, I aired an interview where Michael Sullivan from Near FM spoke to Sean Moynihan, who is the CEO of Alone. And if you or anyone that you know uh, would benefit from Alone, uh, you can contact them on 0818-222024. That's 0818 2024 or email them hello at ie, and uh, hopefully someone there will get in contact and you can have um, a chat with them about your problems or if you have anything that is a concern of yourself or a family member or someone that you know um, an elderly person you can get in contact them and they will help you out also as well 
Gardaí in Kilkenny are investigating where a homeowner on the Dublin Road, Kilkenny, reported a large quantity of goldfish being stolen from his garden pond between 11pm on Friday night and 6pm on Saturday morning and these fish are of some value and you're asked to contact Kilkenny Gardaí if you have any information about that that is a theft on the Dublin Road where a homeowner on the Dublin Road reported a large quantity of goldfish being stolen from his garden pond between 11pm on Friday night and 6pm on Saturday morning and uh, goldfish are of some value um, so contact Kilkenny Guard Station if you have any um, if you know of anything about that uh, break in there on the Dublin Road but uh, now I am going to speak to um, Dr Sinead McNally and she is an assistant professor with in psychology at the Early Childhood Education at DCU. And this is what we have to say. 40% of teachers who took part in a survey conducted by researchers at DCU are concerned about how play and play-based lessons will be impacted by measures to curb the spread of the coronavirus in schools. On the phone now, I am speaking to Dr. Sinead McNally, and she is an assistant professor in the psychology of early childhood education at DCU. So welcome to Kilkenny Today and to Community Radio Kilkenny City, uh, Dr. McNally. Thank you very much, Anne. Um, it's a pleasure to be speaking to you today. So this research was conducted by yourself. Um, first of all, why did you conduct this research? Well, this research was conducted with a colleague of mine, Christina O'Keefe, um, at DCU's Institute of Education. And we thought that this was a really important study to conduct um, this year in particular. So play, we know, is really important for young children. It's the, the currency of early childhood. And it's become really important as a teaching strategy and a way that children learn in schools, in particular in the early childhood classrooms like junior infants, senior infants, all the way up to first and second class. So play also just so happens to be one of the most effective ways in which we can support young children during a stressful time, so like a natural disaster or indeed the pandemic COVID-19. So we wanted to know um, from teachers how they were using stress during or stress play during a stressful time such as the pandemic excuse me and so we asked we surveyed 309 um, primary school teachers who um, teach in the early childhood classrooms in particular so junior infants senior infants and um, first and second class around their strategies around play in the classroom so what we wanted to ask them was, did they recommend play as a, as a teaching strategy, as a learning strategy for parents, for example, when the schools initially closed? So they closed overnight and for three months the, the teachers um, were working remotely and talking to parents um, about the, the children's learning. So we asked them, did they recommend play as a strategy to parents? And we found that 82% of the teachers in our sample so it is a sample of teachers, it's not all teachers in Ireland, but a, a very good sample of early childhood teachers that they did indeed recommend play to parents as a very important aspect of learning at home. Um, and then we collected this data at the end of the school year, just at the beginning of the summer break. So the end of June, the beginning of July, and we wanted to ask teachers 
before the guidelines had been firmed up and had come out, what they thought about using clay in the classroom when schools reopened. And the 309 teachers who took part in the research, were they from any particular part of Ireland or, or what way was that conducted? So we did a, an availability sample, it's called, so where we issued out the survey on social media and through our contacts, and we contacted schools directly across the country. So we have um, a breakdown in terms of urban-rural divide. Um, there's a really nice breakdown there. So we captured teachers' perspectives from urban schools, rural schools, debt schools, non-debt schools, um, and it, it's across the country. So it's not a representative sample in that we won't have teachers from every county, but we certainly, it's not just based in Dublin, it's across the country. Um, teachers very kindly responded to this call for their input around play in early childhood classrooms. And what we were really um, excited to see and, and delighted to see, given how important we know play is for children's well-being as well as their learning, was that um, 87% of teachers intended uh, saw play as critical, really, when schools reopen, and 99%, so almost the full sample, said that they were committed to ensuring that play would happen in the classroom for young children, those children in particular starting school for the first time and returning to school after being out of the classroom for six months. Um, so really, really important to see such commitment to something that we know is so critical for children's well-being, particularly at a, a potentially stressful and what we will assume is has been a traumatic experience for Manny. So we don't know yet how the pandemic has impacted our younger children um, and research will happen. You know, we're still at the early stages of the pandemic and research will, will let us know how we've all been managing around this. But what we do know is play is something that we all do as parents and teachers to support children. So it's really positive to see this planning for play, even as teachers are just coming off the back of the school closures and thinking about and anticipating these regulations in the classroom. And Dr. McNally, why is it so important for children's development when it comes to play? Because you'd imagine child goes out to play. But yeah. why is it so important for their mental development, say, mm. or their physical development? Yes, that's a fantastic question, Anne. And it's something that we're trying to get this message out more and more. So I'm a, a, a developmental psychologist and my, my colleagues internationally and um, educators internationally are really trying to highlight the importance of play for two reasons. So play is very complex and it's not, um, as we would have assumed before, this idea of children go off and they play and they have a good time. It's, it's much more foundational for that. So for in terms of the pandemic, if I can just speak around why play is particularly important there, it does two things for young children it provides them with a sense of an ability to cope. So it's through play, children get this sense of mastery around their environment. They learn how to how things work. They learn how to interact with their friends, how to develop those social skills, to build relationships, to argue, to resolve them. They get this sense that they can do it. They can cope. So we need play for children amongst their friends. We need play for children at 
for a little bit on their own as well, that they can enjoy their own activities and play as they are, as self-directed. But then the other side of play is actually the role of the adult in play. So we don't have to do this all of the time, but as parents and as teachers, we actually play a really important role in interaction with young children in play. And it's through that interaction that children are developing relationships and feeling safe and secure. And that's one of the major ways in which play actually contributes to children's resilience during a pandemic. So what they're doing in playing with us as adults and seeking us out, they'll seek out their teacher. Um, It's for playful interaction. It's for a sense of joy and safety and happiness and security. And that is foundational to children's well-being as well as their learning. And they learn better when they feel safe and secure as well. And our study showed that the teachers that we surveyed knew that. They knew that in abundance. Um, and any concerns that were raised and, and were justifiable concerns around, well, how is this going to work now that we know how important relationships are and getting stuck in is what one teacher referred to, getting stuck into play with children. And while four in ten identified where this would need additional thinking and creative thinking to get around um, the, you know, the physical distancing and still establish that connection with young children through play. What we found was actually really positive because teachers were identifying, well, it's the connection that matters. It's the fact that children need safe space, a non-threatening way to express their emotions. And that's, that's the words of the teachers in our survey. So they were really... Um, thinking ahead and planning ahead to, look, we have these measures in place, but there are ways in which we are determined to do this and and work around this. But also as well, Dr. McNally, isn't it proven that play alone is a a form of reducing stress among children in the same way that listening to music can reduce stress? Absolutely. It is It is such a critical component in reducing stress. So where children are experiencing stress or distress, and, and many of us as parents are seeing this at home as well, and, and teachers will see this in the classroom, playing allows children that safe space, that sense of not having to worry, not having to take on the adult worry that we're all going through and we're all experiencing about um, what will happen next, we don't know. Um, and children find that really reassuring and it's a safe space and, and it's just an absence of the worry where they can become immersed in that playtime. So there are different types of play, like so- sociodramatic play, um, pretend play, imaginative play, block play, games with rules, but they're all engaged in for their own sake. So children aren't trying to achieve a goal with play. So as adults, we're often trying to always achieve something. So we have we have a job to do and we're trying to tick that off our list. Children do play for its own sake. And it's, it's very therapeutic in that way. And as we know as well, uh, the schools, they have been closed since March and hopefully will reopen this week, but still it's kind of up in the air. There is a certain uncertainty still there around the schools opening. But if the schools do open back up, what measures are being then put in place before the schools open back up to make them safe for the children as as well as 
the teachers and the adults working in the schools. What measures are being put in place over the next week or so? Well, Anne, I, I can't really speak to that from this study. Um, I, I just know that, as we all do, the guidelines that have been issued um, in terms of how the, the schools are going to be structured with the bubbles and with um, the pods. Um, and beyond those guidelines that were issued, um, I can't speak to it around this study. So this study doesn't look at the guidelines since they were issued. Um, and what we're concerned about most is just ensuring that play is in that conversation. So clearly and rightly, the discussion is all about making sure children are safe, teachers are safe, and schools stay open as long as possible, and that children return to school um, safely. I think what's really heartening, what we're hearing a lot in, in the last few days, is the positivity with which the school reopening is is being approached by teaching staff and principals. But again, we can't, Christine and I, in terms of this study, can't speak to, to that side of things. All we can definitely say from our research is that play is very much on the agenda and that's actually bringing children's well-being, their mental health, very much to the fore as much as their physical safety um, and health. And then after the study, what concerns were voiced by teachers who had taken part in this study? Was there any particular concerns, say, in around maybe washing toys or cleaning of toys or the use of different um, devices within the classroom? Was there any concerns yeah. aired from teachers around this? Yes, there were a smaller number of our teachers, but a, a substantial number identified. So about 40% identified that this is, is going to take time. This is going to add to already a very, um, um, I suppose, time-heavy, uh, intensive type of work. So the materials, I think, that in the, the new guidelines, and the, this was anticipated again by our teachers in the sample before the guidelines emerged, but that, that would take a lot of um, additional time and planning to make sure materials are cleaned um, and that children can't share materials in the same way. So um, this, uh, the ASHTA curriculum, so which is a play-based uh, curriculum, is used in, in primary schools in the early childhood classrooms. It's also used in the early childhood education sector, so preschools and creches. And um, what they were thinking about in the study and flagging was that they would have to rethink that a little bit. So what do they do in terms of the materials that are there? So what we're hearing anecdotally from teachers, but it, that's not part of our study, but anecdotally we're hearing just of very creative ways in which teachers are working around that. So having boxes of materials for each pod that won't have to be shared, but that they can work with for specific groups of children to ensure that play happens. Um, and happens well for those those children. How is it going to be implemented within the classroom or within between the teacher and the the parent? Is it going to be hard to implement? But, uh, sorry, Anne, between the teacher and the parent. Yeah, is the is the parents and the like? Is the teachers and the parents going to have to come together and be on the same page when it comes to implementing this into the school or? into the life of the child when they go back to school? 
Well, again, it's not something we we asked um, our sample about, and it, it's not something that we focused on at the time of this study. Um, all I can say, just in terms of as a as an academic on the literature around children's development, is that we know that children do pick up from us. Um, they observe, you know, the adults around them. So what we're hearing from teachers is and principals a lot is the focus on positivity um, for children coming back into the schoolyard, for example. Um, and children very much will respond to that. So I think what's heartening for me when, when I'm hearing the, the interviews with various principals and school leaders is a focus on making sure children see that there's the safety measures in place and, and, and know that they are teachers are working so hard to make sure that they're kept safe. But I think it's heartening to see such an emphasis on positivity and that bringing children in in a way that we're focusing on the child and their experience of that. It's, it, again, it's not something I can speak to from our own research on this. Um, but developmentally, children will respond and and um, feel uh, their environment around them. So I suppose that is a critical component in the same way as play is, and that's why play is so powerful, because it's very oriented to the child. It's very focused on them, and it allows them to explore and to learn and to express any concerns they might have. So... Um, that's that's as much as we can say from this study around how this this might work. But certainly, there's every indication that teachers uh, in the early childhood classrooms that we sampled are very much uh, focused on making this work for children's well-being, and that that's at the heart of all of this. And as part of this study, um, Dr. McNally, did sport come into it at all? Um, I know children play sport from very, very young ages, as young as yeah. junior infants. So did sport come into it at all? Sport didn't emerge as a massive theme for us. Um, schoolyard came out, you know, obviously trying to get outdoors as much as possible um, and, and and that children would get to play in that way. We didn't um, have a major theme around sport, so most of our teachers in the sample, um, over 300, um, wrote their, their comments and their thinking around play, and that's why we have such rich data around the importance of play for children's well-being. Um, but sport wasn't one of the major things to emerge from that. It really was mostly focused on the interaction with the teacher to ensure that children were getting to learn through play and that they were getting the space also, the time uh, to play within the classroom. So when they transition back to school or indeed start school for the first time, that they will have the time to settle, the time to regroup and to see their friends again um, and to establish those social skills and build on them back in the classroom. Yeah, because a lot of these children might not have seen their school friends. They might have not seen them since March. So, yeah, yeah so it is going to be like a great way to get them to come back into the school setting, into the environment that they were so used to before yeah. all the lockdown and, and everything that happened. So it is a good way of getting them back into that somewhat normality of life when it comes to children yeah. and play. 
and that's and that's what they that's what children need so we might not be able to provide normal i i think we're all dealing with this new normal um but what we can do is ensure that even for a little bit of the time or as much as possible of, of, of the time, say when children are at home, but certainly back in, in school, that they are getting that opportunity to do what, what they do best. As Christina would say, this is what uh, children do best. Um, it's play. And they do this for a reason. It's a very natural part of children's development because they learn so well in this in this format and they, they get to interact and develop self-regulation. So that's a major thing that we can keep an eye on during the pandemic is that children get to develop their ability to regulate their own emotions, to regulate their own response to stress and feel that they can manage. And so if in doubt, one of the best ways in which we can do that is to encourage play. And finally, um, Dr. McNally, if parents have concerns about their children um, returning to school or about the whole play research that is going on and has went on from yourselves and with the numbers of schools around Ireland, is there anywhere that parents can uh, contact if they are having concerns about their child going back to school? Um, well, as, a, as an academic, it's not it's not my specialism. So, um, in terms of children's more clinical health concerns, mental health concerns, I would say the first thing, if parents themselves are concerned, I would imagine um, the best thing to do is to reach out to the school and to talk to the school. Um, that's just a general advice: is to start, in, you know, with, with your immediate. Um, contacts and concerns there and they may be able to offer support locally or identify local support so it's 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 quite a, a complex thing to think about um and in terms of you know parental stress or worry because we all we all stress and worry to different extents and about different things so i suppose the first starting point would almost be to link in with the school in anticipation of how the return to school will go um, but again, it's it's not really for me to, to speak to that. Um, and um, I, my understanding is that the schools themselves are, are issuing their their um, protocol around how they're going to best best do that. So it might be one of the best starting places. Well, Dr. Sinead McNally, Assistant Professor in the Psychology of Early Childhood Education at DCU, thank you very much for taking the call today on Community Radio Kilkenny City. Not at all, Anne. It's been a pleasure. We are Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM. Kilkenny's only community radio station. We're local like you. Tuesday's installation of Afternoon Outlook is with me, Mick Cummins. Kicking off from 2 to 4pm every Tuesday. Sampling some of the best new music from home and abroad. And I'll also have my classic triple play featuring music from the decades past. Don't forget the dog expert and our health corner right here on 88.7 FM. That's every Tuesday from 2pm. Hope to have you aboard. To ensure people can safely and easily visit Kilkenny City. A one-way traffic system is now in place in the city centre, from John's Bridge to the Parade and from the Parade to Parliament Street, to aid social distancing and provide space for you to move around safely. Please enjoy our city and watch out for the new traffic flow signage and markings. This is your council working for you in Kilkenny City and County. 
Yes, and welcome back to Kilkenny today with myself and Nolan. And uh, before the break there, I was speaking to Dr. Sinead McNally, who is an assistant professor in the psychology of early childhood education at DCU. And we were talking all about the importance of play when uh, with children um, going back to school and uh, all the, like I said, the importance of play and uh, when it comes to children and uh, what is best for them and to help them to engage and to get back into some sort of normality as hopefully they return to school this week. Um, but another announcement as well, uh, the Village Child Care and Community Services presents Monster Drive-In Bingo on Saturday the 29th of August with eyes down at 7pm. And this is in the Castle Inch venue on the Callan Road and a guaranteed prize of €2,500. And uh, the coffee dock and the shop is opened out there as well on the evening. And that is all in support of the Village Childcare and Community Services. And for more details, contact 87 767 that's 87 and I know that the last time that they had the bingo out there there was a bus going out but I'm not actually sure if it is this time but if you contact that number they will be able to tell you if there is a bus going out there or not and that is on the castle out in the castle inch venue on the Callan Road and then also as well, uh, Castle Comer Golf Club uh, 2020 Classic is on Friday and Saturday, the 28th and the 29th of August with first prize of a three-night golfing break in Westport for four people. And you can contact Castle Comer Golf on 056-4441-139. As 56 one three nine, and uh, that is Castlecomer or Castlecomer Golf dot ie and uh, that is in relation to that golf classic and then also as well that theft of uh, on the Dublin Road where Gardaí in Kilkenny are investigating a theft on the Dublin Road Kilkenny uh, where a report of a large quantity of goldfish was taken from a garden pond between 11pm on Friday night and 6pm on Saturday morning and these fish are of some value and Gardaí in Kilkenny are investigating that and if you have any information of uh, anything that happened out there on the Dublin Road or if you saw anything happening out there on the Dublin Road or anything uh, suspicious uh, between 11pm on, on Friday night and 6pm on Saturday morning contact Kilkenny Gardaí and uh, they would be glad to hear from you uh, in relation to that um, but that is about all I have time for on Kilkenny today for another Kilkenny today and Thanks very much to uh, Sean Milehan from Alone, who is the CEO of Alone and contrib who contributed to the show today. And he was speaking to Michael Sullivan from Near FM. And also as well, thanks to Dr. Sinead McNally, who I was speaking to earlier on and uh, all about uh, the childhood. She's an early childhood education psychologist at 
DCU and we were talking about the importance of play when it comes to children, especially when now that they are going back to school. Well, hopefully that they will be going back to school fairly soon. So, like I said, that is all I have time for on Kilkenny today. Uh, stay tuned for more great programmes coming up after me. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM.